welcome everyone to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast, our listeners on Talk Radio, WWDB, and our new listeners on WPEN, HD2, 97.5 FM. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. Today's show has two legends. In studio, Chef Walter Stabe, a third-generation restaurateur with more than four decades of culinary experience. Chef Walter Stabe is an author, Emmy Award-winning TV host, James Beard-nominated chef, and culinary historian. He began his career in Europe, receiving formal training in many of Europe's finest hotels and restaurants. And then the second half of the show, who doesn't know Gino Steaks, known around the world? We have Gino Vento as our special guest. Let's get this great show started. Chef Gene Let's introduce this fabulous guest. Such an honor it is to introduce the culinary ambassador to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, James, Board, James Beard nominated chef, 15-time Ebby Award winner, 26-year proprietor of City Tavern, and a culinary historian to the nth degree, Chef Walter Stabe, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Great honor to have you here. Well, the honor is all mine because uh, your, your, your honor is all mine. Your show is so well-renowned. I don't know why it took you so long to invite me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be purely my fault, but we're saving the best for last, uh, you know, in, in that situation. Chef, what people don't know, they know that you are the proprietor of City Tavern, and Obviously, everyone felt the loss through COVID and other situations of that. But what people don't know is, you know, how you got started. Yes, you're a third generation, but you had a great culinary business before City Tavern. Tell us a little bit about, you know, Concepts by Stabe and what it's all about. Well, basically, I started my business of uh, helping out, uh, consulting, mostly in the islands uh, and and. Uh, China, Thailand, you name it, all over the world, Russia. Uh, and basically, I did what I called uh, restaurant turnkey concept development, where I would come in, you had an idea, you had a, a footprint, and I would then say, okay, let's build a kitchen here, a bunch of restaurants over there. And so I was very, very, very busy, I will tell you, all over the world. I, I opened some, by any accounts, between 600 and 800 restaurants, you name it, different concepts all over. So I was basically living in an airplane, back and forth. I'm still lived in Bryn Mawr, but never home. And uh, so I was very successful, but what I was lacking was a home base. And I was looking always around for a restaurant that I could buy that was big enough so I could buy commercially food versus doing a recipe when you go to a grocery store. And so the city tower came up. Somebody said to me, uh, in 93, he said, hey, you should look into that. It's closed. Uh, the last uh, proprietor got shut out. Uh, the park service locked it up. And uh, you should look You should look really, you should look, look into it. 
And so I said, yeah, okay, let, let me let me do it. I looked into it and I got excited about the, uh, you know, the possibilities uh, that were there. Uh, and so when I did my, uh, what you call an RFP, request for proposal, I was absolutely flabbergasted. Obviously, I grew up in a restaurant uh, my whole life. I've been peeling garlic since I'm four years old and I've always wanted to be in there. I always like food, different foods, different things. But what I did not realize is the sophistication the 18th century had to offer. I did not realize that until I dug deeper into it. And this later, what brings me later to seven cookbooks and the show and all this, all became of the interest I had when I looked at the city tavern as a location for my consulting business as the headquarters, actually. That's how it all started. And from then, it just exploded into different directions. Uh, unfortunately, uh, last year, mid COVID, and many uh, repairs needed to the building that is owned by the Department of the Interior, the National Park Service. It was unfortunately for us to close down. Uh, now, the, the, while the restaurant is closed, uh, we are not closed. We still have uh, citytavern.com, we have a store, we do all kinds of things, we books. I'm working right now on the new spice collection, and I, we, we're very, very busy. Uh, and filming, obviously, we're starting off right now on season 12. We got the first two shows uh, in the back, eight more to go, and uh, so we keep busy. So, a taste of history that came about from City Tavern, or you know, was this something you always thought about a little bit? Uh, what a great concept, and for anyone who has not seen uh, Taste of History, one, it's it's a must-watch if you're a food lover of any types, and you can get it on PBS or on Amazon Prime. But how did A Taste of History come about? What was that actually, motivation? Actually, it's one of those great stories. There's a woman named Susan Roberts, which used to have a show on PBS called Seeking Solutions. And I did a lot of uh, shows uh, on, on, on Comcast with uh, Stephen Horn production and with Paul Dillon, and she knew me and saw me and came by several times, interviewed me, and she said, you know, Walter, you should really uh, produce a show, uh, make a pilot, uh, send it to me. She brought off all her executive uh, managers over to the tavern. I, I tell, told them a little bit about the sophistication. And you see, you have to remember also, the reason it's so unique is that Philadelphia had so much influence to the West Indies rather than London because the ships only take a day to travel from Jamaica and other British-controlled islands into the inner fabric, literally a stone throw away from the city tavern. So a lot of fresh spices and a lot of fruits were not available for the English. So that made sense. Anyway, long story short, I made a pilot, and just as the pilot got finished, I was told that uh, they closed down all the production facilities from the Fenton and Comcast was only purchasing stuff. And here I sat with uh, a demo tape. And then, obviously, uh, I was lucky through Dietz and Watson that helped me a big time, and my client, Sandals, that uh, helped me uh, support the show. And uh, first season in, we got the two Emmys, a show we filmed down in Monticello with my hero, Thomas Jefferson. And uh, I got a personal Emmy. Even so, I was told by people, my accent, I would never get an Emmy. And they were all wrong. Because from all I know, the people love my accent, especially the ladies. Hello. I was going to say, I love your accent. I don't know why anyone would have a problem well, with was, it. Well, this was what I always had said before. But anyway, so that's kind of like, the, in a really quick nutshell, 
I had no interest of American history at first. I never even wanted to stay here. I came for one year uh, in 1969 to Chicago, uh, one year, and I met my wife, got married. She did not want to go to Europe. Uh, she was from Central America, Nicaragua, and uh, we, I decided to stay here. And so I, I made a life in this country, and I'm a proud American since 1974. I gave up, I, I burned my German passport, actually, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and that's it. So I'm living here, and, and, and like, like I said, living the dream. Can I circle back to uh, you're creating a line of spices? Yeah. Now, is that to reflect some of the menu items that you've created so that someone can bring that in their home and then have a taste of your menu at, in their own um, kitchen? Funny you should ask. I Actually, there's four spices. One of them is called Spectacular, which is my name I use on the show all the time, which is an 18th century uh, very secretly kept in a vault, in a volcano uh, <laughs> recipe. It's getting produced right now by a company out of uh, New Jersey. The other one is called The Taste of History, which has a lot of historical spices into it, lots of nutmeg, old spice, again, to get the flavor. Then I have a Mediterranean spice, and I have an unbelievable beef uh, uh, for steak rub, beef rub. And uh, should be on the market within the next couple of weeks. I've been working really hard. Uh, I grow my own herbs uh, at home. I have a big herb garden. So I've, I kind of refined. It's not the first time I do the spice. I've done it before. Mm-hmm. But I refined it with some other new herbs that I grew myself and played around with it. So the spices are quite unique. And on top of it, for all the ladies out there, has my picture on it. <laughs> there you go. And then they can listen to this recording and hear your accent and really enjoy that. <laughs> and, really know, get, and, really, and really get excited. But... <laughs> But the, the fact of it is, is and actually my assistant, Phil, that is here in the studio, he can attest to it. Every day I make lunch, not for me, but for him, kind of to test some of the spices. So I have, I've really put, because of COVID, I had more time. Mm-hmm. I really spent a lot of time there. I guarantee you that when people get the spices, as soon as they're going to be available, they're going to be flabbergasted. And it brings the flavors back of, of years gone by. So it's kind of like, you're absolutely right. That's good. So, Chef, you talk a lot about the spice trade from, you know, the the West Indies and, and you know, from Jamaica and, and from the islands and things like that. And going through your resume and, and the numerous awards, I mean, you know, in 1987, you received an award from uh, from France. You were the first culinary ambassador and still the culinary ambassador to the state of Pennsylvania, the Seven Stars and Stripes Award. Uh, you know, the ACF has honored you. Numerous television shows have honored you. You're the top Philadelphia chef uh, for Connie Nash Cadillac in 2011, you know, for the Culinary Challenge. But one of the things that I really loved is that you founded the Caribbean Culinary Federation, and you were also the first inductee into the Hall of Fame uh, for that Tell us a little bit about what that project is and, and how that has spread to some other countries and what you have done in other places with that, what that's all about. Let me tell you, it's, 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 it's a, first of all, a fantastic question. Second of all, we take for granted, as Americans, to travel anywhere we want. If you have a blue passport, you can go anywhere, with the exception of the last couple of fiasco years. So many islands, you think about it, they cannot travel. People, if I'm a chef and I work in a beautiful resort in Cuba, I cannot just go and go over to Fort Lauderdale and attend a 
uh, a culinary school. It just doesn't happen. And the same in, in the islands. So the developer at the time that I, that I worked with me put a spectacular resort together. I spent a week in the bush learning Jamaican cooking. There's nothing I do not know about Jamaican cooking just because I had to learn it. Like everything I do, I learn. I go to the markets, I learn. I work with the housewives, with regular people. And so this uh, gentleman, Peter Rousseau, the developer, said, we got to help me. We got to bring something together to help these young guys to inspire to learn more. And so we decided to create what we call the, the Culinary Federation. And uh, to kick it off really good, we did a, a big, 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 big competition. Uh, and uh, successful and still doing it right now. And it was really helpful. But not only Jamaica. The same thing is good in Cuba. The same thing is when I work in China. The same thing when I work in Thailand. So many other places, Russia, for instance. Uh, we, we take for granted, and now Russia, for instance, has great food, and most people don't realize uh, the cuisine of the Tsars, which is unspectacular. I mean, there's so much that you learn when you do what I do, but the, the, the not being able to travel, you've got to bring the resources to them, and what better way to do it than to start an organization and bring it in. And so when I, when I was, became uh, the ACF Hall of Fame chef, that you only have a handful in this country, uh, this is one of the things that I always said. I love to teach people. I love to show people. I never hold back. Uh, I don't have any secrets. I like to show. I like to teach. I like to have fun. I like to have good food. But I also understand what people are faced with when they don't have the luxury of traveling and attending, let's say, the, the restaurant school in Philadelphia or the Culinary Institute of America in High Park or Johnston, Wales. If it's not their reach, it's difficult. So that's why I did it. Well, what a wonderful thing as a, uh, a supporter of the ACF and, and, you know, understanding that the job of any culinarian is to pass on what we know, to see you passing it on to countries all around the world and to those less fortunate, you know, kudos to you in that. So, so the current episode or the current season that you're out doing, uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about absolutely, what's upcoming? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to talk about a taste of history because it's so much work. And it's a lot of fun in the end. I mean, I was uh, uh, home on Saturday for uh, a change, and I saw myself in cooking in Ecuador, in Manabí, which was one of my spectacular, uh, uh, it was a great trip. It just happened before COVID. Uh, Taste of History, obviously, we explore wherever we can explore, different regions, uh, different cuisines, different cultures. So right now we are concentrating on season 12. We have two shows down. We did one up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, about uh, the whole idea of the Moravians and the farming and the way they worked about their, their manners. And the second show we did, we just came back two weeks ago from the Smoky Mountains down in Tennessee, which was really, really interesting. Complete different twist to it. And again, cooked with local chefs. Then uh, on the 24th, we're moving all the way to the Ozark. We're going to work with a chef that is renowned to looking for, for, for herbs and different mushrooms in the forest. So we're going to go deep into the forest. And from there, we're going to finish the Santa Fe Trail, which we did one uh, show already on season 11, the most northern part. So we're going to end up in St. Louis and end up in, in, in Denver, Colorado, haven't covered. Then we're going to Texas. I'm going to do some cowboy cooking. We're going to do a, a great show about winemaking in Maryland out of all places that most people don't realize that the British demanded the farmers to grow wine to get money. Obviously, taxes 
which was the whole the whole thing. And we gonna have a couple more uh, interesting interesting shows that uh, we put together. So season twelve is on its way, and obviously a lot of work. And and uh, Phil, my producer, is sitting right next to me here. He works himself silly getting all the details together, working with other people. But what I've changed lately, I do more uh, assisting with other chefs than me doing all the cooking. So it's kind of like more becoming more of a travel show, history show, not just me alone cooking where I normally cook uh, in the kitchen up in uh, Bryn Mawr, which was built in 1704. So it's fun, but it's a lot of work uh, and a lot of travel, a lot of work, and, uh, but it's rewarding. And it's not about the Emmys, by the way. I take them, <laughs> but the, it's not about the Emmy. It's about really educating the rest of the world what happened. And I will tell you, when you said just quickly about the spices, what made Philadelphia so unique was the influx of the French. With the French Revolution, all the French came in. Guess where they came in? They settled on 2nd Street. The 2nd Street was called by the French La Petite Champs-Élysées, because why? All the French settled there. So you got the bisques, and you got the, the, the French bread, and you got... You got different techniques that got infiltrated. Obviously, the Germans were already there before. They're still there out in Lancaster. So Philadelphia has always been a melting a, a melting pot of great different uh, uh, ethnic foods. All the Italians came later. You had them come later. Everybody came in there, but the French played a very important part because they were very welcome because they helped with the the revolution. I mean, I did a tremendous amount of filming in France, and. Uh, uh, Understanding Rochambeau and the help with uh, with Washington and the, the whole thing about uh, General Lafayette. Uh, I was also the culinary ambassador for Le Mignon, which was the ship that brought uh, Lafayette back. And also, for most people don't realize, Lafayette met George Washington on August 5th, 1777 at the City Tavern. And going back to the City Tavern one more time, you could not talk enough about the City Tavern. And my book, uh, my, one of my cookbooks, has about 24 pages just about the history of the harbor and how important. You know, you talk about, people talk about desserts, lemon meringue pie. Where did it come from? It was invented in Philadelphia. Why? There was a woman named Godfellow. She had a cooking school right on the harbor. Guess what she did? She finagled a deal with the sea captains and said, get me the lemons that are not blemished, that are not so good. I'll give you some pie. And so she developed the lemon meringue pie right in the harbor of Philadelphia, a stone throw away from the city tavern, and on and on and on and on. You could talk about it. And we could we, we could spend a day without repeating ourselves. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, because sure. with all your travels and with your extensive palate, um, has there ever been a genre of food that, you know, the flavor profiles just lit your palate and you were just like, you, you know, you have that moment where you bite into something and you're like, oh, that tasted so good. You know, is there any particular fr flavor profile that, you know, lights your or ignites your love? Everything that I cook is like that, no matter. I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I, I love to cook and I still cook plenty, as, as Phil can attest to you. But I, I do have a certain uh, love for, uh, what do I call it? it Kind of uh, Asian cuisine. Uh, I, I love the the Vietnamese uh, feeling where the French gets tied together. You know, with the, with the Asian food. I really I like that. I mean, Vietnamese is one of my my favorite uh, go by. I'm not a big uh, fast food guy. No offense, Chino. I, 
<laughs> even so, I was quoted the other day on a big German uh, on a big German uh, television station. If I ever would make a cheesesteak, and I said I, I wouldn't. I let the cheese <laughs> I let the cheesesteak guys make cheesesteak. Let me let them do it. They do a better job than than I do. And and having said it, there's nothing better than a cheesesteak after about a six pack of beer. Oh, excuse me, I didn't say that. <laughs> but uh, so well, the, the, the fact the fact there's some foods that really just drive you, and a lot of that is uh, also the Caribbean, a lot of the different Caribbean food. My thing is is I'm a big believer for no no fusion confusion. Keep the food together that wants to be together, and less is always better. Not putting more stuff into it is not good. Yeah. And wholesomeness, fresh, from the from the farm to the table. That's my whole philosophy, you know. And and that's actually the biggest trend, you know. And I hate calling it a trend because anybody who cooks in a kitchen, like the best way to cook, you know, is with the fresh ingredients. So I I really don't like saying it's a trend, but it unfortunately is called a trend. Well, one of the things that I find a lot, a matter of fact, I just responded. Uh, my son actually responded for me. My son has a PhD in uh, anthropology, so he helps me out once in a while. He, he works in Steamboat, Colorado. But uh, the thing is, somebody was asking me about the use of garlic because garlic uh, wasn't really used by the sophisticated people. Garlic was used for the common folks. Uh, anybody that had sophistication before dental hygiene, et cetera, et cetera, stayed away from garlic, except if you wanted to fight off the, the dragula, the, 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 you know. I mean, so it's interesting when certain things, certain things you learn, and a lot of questions, and a lot of people find it fascinating uh, how people would have worked with from farm to table and really procuring. Matter of fact, the root cellar. Just imagine you go a big garden. Uh, well, how much cabbage you're going to sell on the market? How much cabbage you're going to keep? You know, and uh, the the place where my test kitchen is is in Bryn Mawr, which is uh, the, the Thomas Jefferson's uh, escape when he visited Charles Thompson. Uh, and they would have lavish feasts, and I got oysters up from the Delaware. They had a beautiful garden. They also kept bees. So, so that in, it's, it's interesting to people to see. So my next journey, which is going to go to the Ozarks, I'm working with a chef who does exactly what I had to do as a young boy, uh, uh, going to the forest. You think we we didn't buy mushroom from a vendor? <laughs> you you instead on the afternoon taking a snooze. You go to the woods. You pick it, and, and until you pick a couple of wrong mushrooms, you learn quickly. Until you pick a couple of the <laughs> you, wrong ones. You, you learn quickly. But so I, I've been in food all my life. I grew up in a restaurant, obviously, and but I've never regretted it. Even now, uh, I don't regret it, and uh, I, I, have, I still have tremendous amount of energy for food, and I, I won't give up food. Uh, it's un until I'm six foot under, and then maybe who knows when I'm pushing up. <laughs> well, Chef, I used to love going to City Tavern, and little things that always struck me is the fact that for you know many, many, many years on certain meals, you would still do things like tomato rose, and people would say, well, you know, what's the tomato rose? And I, you know, well, come on, that's antiquated. And I remember a story where you stopped doing the tomato rose, and people actually started complaining. You know, Ooh. where is it? Where is it? We want that back. And you know, your food was educational, but it was inspiring, and it was absolutely delicious. What was the most requested dish at City Tavern? Most requested dish, obviously, the West Indian pepper pot soup, not to be confused with the Philadelphia pepper pot soup, which is in your book that I dropped off, uh, which was done with tripe. 
the West Indian one did not use dry, but the West Indian pepper pot syrup is historically correct because it, the, the, the West Indian uh, has callaloo, uh, which is uh, the top of a, ter- of a taro root, mm-hmm. and, and also it was served as a celebration, as a celebration after the crossing of the Delaware. And also during the horrendous winter of 1777 in Valley Forge, uh, pepper pot was done. And we, since Washington never really traveled outside the United States, but one place, you know, most people don't realize that. Washington only went once to Barbados, and Barbados has a version of a pepper pot. So he may or may not have asked his chefs, hey, make that because it's spicy, and you can use any kind of protein you do in there. So... Pepper pot is one, and the, the second one is obviously our world-famous Mother Washington's turkey pot pie. Mm-hmm. And the turkey pot pie is that we cook turkey every day. We would sell on a given day, except of last year, uh, 200 turkey pot pies a day. Turkey pot pie, lobster, lobster pie, big sellers. Venison, because we kept venison all year. Uh, I'm the only guy, when I ran out of rabbit, you're talking about the tomato rose. Uh, I used to have a, like a war when I couldn't get any rabbit because <laughs> a couple of farms would close down and I couldn't get, get a hold on rabbits. And especially the Chinese got in and, oh, it's horrible. So people get so used to it and they come back and back and back. So uh, my food, by the way, uh, will be available really soon through, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, Gold Belly? That's a very popular. We are just working. We are right now in experimental stages, so that really soon, hopefully by the holiday or if not before, you can experience some of my food again at home. Uh, My recipes right from the book, uh, and so hopefully uh, we'll we'll have a lobster pie, and we'll have a turkey pot pie, we'll have a pepper pot, we'll have a Martha Washington chocolate mousse cake. Sweet potato biscuit mm. and a cobbler. You're making oh, yeah. me hungry. What's the whole idea? <laughs> it's just not my accent. And and he, um, before we actually find out where to, to find you online and where to find your books, uh, I would like to throw myself under the bus and say I love rabbit. I know they're so cute and fuzzy, but they are so delicious. Can I tell you? <laughs> you? You are absolutely right. And if I tell you how much rabbit I thought, I used to have really seriously trouble so, Keeping, keeping supplies on hand, especially after a couple of rabbit farms down in Texas closed shop, uh, became very difficult because people came specifically for the rabbit because nobody else would have served it. You know, it's like you know when 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 I first put tofu on the menu, everybody looked at me and said, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> but they didn't realize that tofu didn't just come from the West Coast or from some Chinese immigrant. No, tofu was sent by Ben Franklin, the recipe from London, think about it, from London to John Bartram, right at the Schugel, saying, you got to try the bean curd. Think about all and that. And so then obviously, and we did it all, and then it went underground, nobody liked it, and some people still don't like tofu. If people like my tofu because I made it in like to a schnitzel. <laughs> Basically, I breaded it in salilan, honest to God, breadcrumbs, Deep fried it, and everything is good deep fried, right, Chino? Oh. <laughs> including, <laughs> including all your, including all your French fries. So seriously, but again, historically correct. And the other thing to remember, since I was part of the federal government's bureaucracy, if you will, the Department of the Interior, uh, everything I had to prove out. It took me five years to prove the fact that Thomas Jefferson took Chance, James Hemming all the way to Paris to learn how to make pommes frites. 
Oh, wow, really? That's, we call them French fries. Yes. Why do you think? Because you fry them. <laughs> the French way. Yeah. And that's why yeah. they were cold. And, and he took them all the way there. And then we finally had a, were able to put them on the menu. And we never still called them French fries. We still called them pommes frites and got away with it. But the, uh, the tomato rose was one of those eras where I like to stay with the past. And sometimes you got to change. But all good. And speaking of change, um, why don't you change up the what you're talking about and let our listeners know where to find you? And these great cookbooks. And these great cookbooks, yes. Anyone can go to atasahistory.org or citytavern.com, and you can go to our gift shop, and they're located on there. And we got four cookbooks. Um, right now we're featuring our Black Forest Cuisine as well as Chef Dave's A Taste of History cookbook. And, For the uh, whole month. Because of your great show, I said, hey, let's do something and give you a special deal. And we can't thank you enough. This is great. Amherst, tell the folks. So as a thank you to all of our listeners and for, um, on behalf of Walter, uh, Chef Walter, Walter Stabe. Call me Walter. I like it better. <laughs> oh, Walter. <laughs> um, he is going to let Food Farms and Chefs, our podcast, um, offer a $5 off of the cost of his Black Forest Cuisine cookbook and the a Taste of History cookbook from today until the end of August. You just have to use the coupon code PODCAST when you uh, check out. And just one thing, the, the book that you have in front of you, mm-hmm. the interesting is that every recipe in there is cross-reference to the show. So if you like a recipe, go on Amazon Prime, download the show or PBS, and then follow it. So every single recipe in there is cross-referenced. So I spend a lot of time. So basically, you can see it visually, and you can read about it, and hopefully it turns out. Uh, so, so many uh, people that try sometimes don't succeed. And my advice is always don't give up. If the first time it doesn't work, it might work the second time. My recommendation is... Don't invite your friends over for the first time. Give, <laughs> give, 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 it about, give it about one or two times before you get them to come over. And just always remember that a chef never makes a mistake. We just create a new recipe. <laughs> it's like we don't drink. We only taste. That's right. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. But, uh, I mean, that we have four books uh, still. I mean, a total of seven books out of print, the other ones. Uh, and uh, people do enjoy them. And uh, they're nice and great photography, as you can see yourself. And... We also have all the we have all the DVDs as well. Still, even so, people don't have any more DVD players. I find out, <laughs> but we had to reorder more because we have also a variety of uh, different people that watch the show. So, yeah. And if the listeners to this show use the code podcast, they're going to get five dollars off. Thank you so much, Chef Dave. Thank you, Chef. It was it, a great it, pleasure thank having you, you here. So much. Honor to have you. It, is, it is my pleasure, and I'm so happy that somebody liked my accent over here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to right now go down to the car. We are driving to Chino's, and uh, yes. we'll, see, we'll yes. see what kind of... He, he has some wonderful uh, cheesesteaks. I do know. He has the best. I know. <laughs> I know. And we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with another legend, Gino Steaks, Gino Vento, when we come back. 
to become a sponsor of our show and promote your business or event on every single podcast platform, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many more. In addition to Talk Radio, WWDB, and WPEN HD2, 97.5 FM, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Evening Drive Time. Send us an email to diningonadime at yahoo.com for our very low rates. Our show is now legally an LLC business. And we're back. Amorous Pollock introduced the next legend. I want to introduce everyone to the amazing, talented, and such a, such a nice guy, Gino Vento of Gino Steaks. Gino, say hello to our listeners. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? <laughs> Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you for uh, joining us. You know, I am doing so well because about a half hour ago, <laughs> I had one of your cheesesteaks here in the studio. So I am just living large. As I can feel my smile off the face right now. I know, and I, I got in, and I wasn't even, like, I barely sat down, and I just opened that up, and I was like, I'll snap off a quick picture, and then I'm just going to smother myself in the cheesesteak, because, oh, it's so good. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So, um, you are a second-generation owner of Gino's Steaks, and your father had, you know, originally um, founded it in 1966. Um, why, don't, <laughs> why don't you tell a little, our listeners a little bit about your history? Sure. My father started in 1966. He started with $6 in the register and borrowed $2,000 off my, my mom's father and turned that into a multi-million dollar business with only a ninth grade uh, education. Wow. That is amazing. Yep. It's definitely... Oh. And none. <laughs> exactly. You can't like get a better like self-made story than that. Mm-hmm. That... Dad was always driven, um, you know, at the time uh, when he was a kid, his father had like little cheesesteak uh, pizza or not really pizza shop, but like a cheesesteak shops and like uh, hoagies and, you know, roast pork and stuff like that. And growing up, I mean, he used to go to high school with like a money belt. And my, and my grandfather would teach him the, you know, the respect and how to carry money and running businesses at age 14 he was running his own steakhouse at age uh, 17 he was running two of my grandfather's steakhouses and he said uh, to my grandfather you know I'm going to open up my own one uh, one day and he's like yeah 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 kid yeah just keep working and he's like no dad I'm really going to open one and you know basically when he was in his late teens early 20s he opened up you know as we see Gino's and he said if I'm going to open up I want to go against at the best at the time. And at the time, there was really just Pat Steaks. Yeah. So he bought that dilapidated building that I showed you the pictures of at the store and, you know, just build the uh, customers one customer at a time. And believe it or not, we have the same meat, you know, the same cheese that we use, the Wiz American and Provolone. The role had to change because the bakery that we had uh, did go out of business. But really, it's the same sandwich you got in 1966 that you do now, the only thing is the price is a little bit higher. Mm. I mean, the cheese started out at like, I believe 20, 25 cents, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I don't know how much the, the unfortunate quarantine, um, rising costs has increased your, what you've incurred, 
Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's well worth it, worth every single penny spent because it is a solid cheesesteak. It is going to fill you up and, and it tastes nice and juicy, you know, and mm-hmm. depending on what cheese you, you decide on and with or without. I, I don't know if I'm <laughs> saying that proper with the. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Because <laughs> I'm from Jersey, so. <laughs> you get so nervous when they come up and it's like, I'm like, I, I'm like not laughing in a bad way, but I'm like. It's just a cheesesteak. It's not like you're, you know, taking a school test or you're taking a driver's license. You know, it's just like with or without onions and pick a cheese. You know, it's really simple. Yeah. And um, now since we're actually talking about that, I'm going to pop our uh, sound guy, Brett, on for a second because we had a conversation beforehand. And Brett, what did you say to me? Gino's is the best cheesesteak. And the reason why is because me and my brother actually went to four different cheesesteak places, had cut them in four, so a total of two cheesesteaks from Jim's, Gino's, Pat's, and Tony Luke's, and Gino's was the best because it has the extra cheese on it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And, and, I, and, and I love hearing that. You know, like, I like to put a smile on faces, you know, especially being a chef myself, I love to cook. I love to see people's expressions, you know, see their taste buds going. And like when I create something to have someone eat it and compliment it, I think that's the best sign of love that I know, because I feel and I've learned over the years that when you cook, you have to cook with love. And it shows through your uh, through your cheesesteaks, because I mean, obviously it's iconic everybody goes goes to your cheesesteak place and and of course there's always the challenge where you know you get half and half um yeah i will say that you are my preferred cheesesteak <laughs> and, and, and can i just coming from a guy i eat your cheesesteak second usually you think like the first <laughs> meal you eat is usually the best because you're super hungry but you won, and I was still there. You go. I got yours, and you still were the best one. <laughs> and I'm gonna top that because I used to work at the hotel across the street, the Hilton, and I used to send people to Mama's because Mama's is right near it. And they used to come back saying, "Yeah, but we're still going to Gino's. I'm gonna get my photo and this and that." I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be convenient. You know what I mean? They would come back and say, "No, no, no, we're still going down to Gino's Steaks." I was like, well, "Why did you ask me?" Yeah. You know what I mean? So Gino, yeah, if well, I such an honor to be known throughout, you know, the world yeah. and over a cheesesteak. And, and and I don't mean it in a demise, like, like a demise way, but it's just, it's so funny how a cheesesteak could be so powerful, known all over the world yep. and be such common language and bring people together. Because even when I travel and I have friends that travel with shirts or hats and, you know, they'll see something and they're like, oh, my God, you've been Gino's. Oh, what's it like? Or this That's or that. Right. Or they hear you're from Philly. The first question is, Pat's or Gino's? That's you exactly know? right. And yeah. That's never really been a discussion in my household. It's always been Gino's. <laughs> but, but that popularity is universal. I've People from all over the world were uh, saying they're going down there. I explain Gino's. Uh, a little differently to people all the time. And, you know, I was part of a whole big group doing cheesesteaks all over the city and things like that. And, you know, evaluations, people say, oh, you know, you can't, you know, Geno's is whatever. And you know what? You Everybody, you know, you could say John's, you could say Mom's, you could whatever. But after a show in the city, after a concert, after a sporting event, my wife and I will go to Geno's every time because it's not just the great cheesesteak, it's the experience. It's mm-hmm. the whole 
atmosphere. It's everything. It's it's memorable, and and you know it is such a powerful thing as you talked about. So that being said, I want to lead into something that you were an instrumental part of. While the rest of this country was coming out of COVID and saying, okay, we're coming out of COVID. What do we do to celebrate? You and I and Jeff Berlonger and, and, and obviously Renee and Amaris and all. We got together and we did a little thing in South Philadelphia a few weeks ago. That is still making the news weeks later. BillyPenn.com just did a thing where we created the world's largest cheesesteak. Yes, and I heard uh, after all the calculation and measurements, it was over 500 foot. You are correct. I was the person who took that official measurement, and we <laughs> we exceeded that, and we, you know, whatever. But people, you know, BillyPenn.com just did the big article saying, well, it wasn't one long continuous cheesesteak and this and this and this. And I'm sitting back and saying it was the first official party after the after covid before anybody was doing anything in the city of Philadelphia, you and, and Renee nitpicking. and 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 Tony Luke and everybody got together and we had what a great day. And by the way, you and Tony did an exceptional job at being the head two tables up there and doing that. But you know, what do you think about yeah. all these naysayers out there who were talking about, oh, it's not really a cheesesteak. It was this. It was that. It was that. Well, tell me where you're going to find a 500 foot. <laughs> oven that you're going to make one continuous cheesesteak. I mean, you know, people have to, you know, ease up a little bit. I mean, we were there. We wanted to have fun, celebrate Renee's party, but most of all, bring people together, laugh, joke, go back to the old times and bring people together. And what better way to bring people together than food? And then you had me and Tony at the front, like you said, <laughs> and we were greeting people, talking. And uh, from what I understand, I don't know if it's confirmed or not, but there was like over 30-some cheesesteaks, all different versions of a cheesesteak, and people were tasting them and eating them and conversing and taking pictures. Like, that's what I feel like what Philly is about, is bringing people together and laughing and joking. And some people are just so serious or so negative in their life that, you know, they just need to relax a little bit. I know a lot of people are having heartaches and, and different uh, concerns and 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 problems right now with COVID going on, but if someone's trying to put a smile on their face, don't fight it. Just go with it. Absolutely, it was a great event, and you know, thank you, thank obviously Renee for oh, being there. Tony had a ball. We're like yeah. best friends. You had so much energy. You, you I did. have some amazing photos of you guys. Yeah, I was just with him last night. He came to my uh, boyfriend's uh, birthday party. And then my birthday was last week, and he drove all the way down to Rehoboth for mine. So oh, wow. we're together all the time. I mean, we just <laughs> laugh at each other. We talk. And one of the funniest things is, is when we go out to dinner, a lot of people, like, look and go, oh, my God, look, there's some two cheesesteak guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, they, and people come up and, you know, kind of slide their camera over and, like, you want to take a picture of us? Come on over. You know, and they're like, can we? And we do, but the, like one of the funniest things is, is when we go out to order and the waiter comes over, introduces himself, and he's like, would you like to start with some appetizers? And we look and we say, yes. And he goes, okay, what, uh, which ones? And I went, yes. And the waiter's <laughs> looking at us, and Tony went, all of them, you know? Yeah. Cause like, because, like, I mean, Amherst, you've been with us. I mean, yeah. we're foodies, we to eat. And it was just so funny, the waiter's face was priceless you know and it's like one of our funny stories but um yeah we love each other we're like 
always talking and conversing. And the thing is, like, people think that we're enemies and, you know, with Pats and with, you know, uh, Ishka Bibbles and Jim's and all that. You know what? We're all friends at the end of the day. We all have very successful businesses. It's just everybody likes cheesesteaks differently. Some people like the chop. Some people like, you know, the thin cut. Somebody like bite like us. Yeah. You know, some people like the whiz. Some people like the American. You know, and and I always tell people that's why there's chocolate and vanilla. Everybody has their own way of eating a cheesesteak. We're all good, just in different ways. I think um, Brett was uh, chomping at the bit to ask you something else. You were actually sure. at our uh, old studio in the 555 building. You were, and Tony Luke were in a guest of a show called uh, That Showbiz. And I have a picture of both of you guys. <laughs> he oh, was, really? Oh. Yeah, he was so excited. He was like, I got a picture with them, and I know them. I met them before. It was really cute. Like, they're not really rivals, but I'll keep it low-key. <laughs> Um, now with the, the 500 foot cheesesteak that, you know, that's not the first time that you've given back to the community. You know, that's, you've given back in, in various ways. You, you are very philanthropic. Um, you know, I, I've just from going through your history in 2013, you raised, I think over $15,000 to give back to the Philadelphia chapter of the American Association for Cancer Research, you know, and, <laughs> You in 2016, you had your 50th anniversary, and you know you gave back to a variety of different organizations. So I, you know, I it's not just that you're creating a cheesesteak and giving, you know, you're you're creating a community. Yeah, um, I, I I mean, in life, I feel very fortunate and very lucky to have the platform that I do and the way I can have a voice and hopefully change lives and put smile on faces and. You know, uh, I love doing charity events and meeting people. I'm not one that just writes a check, shows up, takes a picture, and leaves. I actually get there an hour and a half, two hours before I meet. I talk to people, and, you know, I do the event, and then I stay afterwards. You know, and and a dear friend of mine um, that passed away, and I, I think as soon as I say her name, you'll know her, Joan Rivers. Um, I learned a lot from her, and I loved her because she was a spunky little broad that had a mouth on her but she as big as her mouth was her heart was even bigger and she always gave back she did the charity events and she just between her and my father really taught me what humanitarian is and how to give people because if i have a good day and someone else is having a bad day i don't like that i want to put a smile on their face so what can i do to change and make them feel as good as i do each day yeah and that is that is the important thing um, you know, I, I've done charities, charitable, um, events before and, uh, f- photographed it. Sorry. I probably shouldn't say, <laughs> say done. Um, you know, but you're doing it on such a grand scale and, you know, and on a daily basis, you're putting a smile on people's faces just from your cheesesteaks alone. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but with, um, with ev- everything that you're doing outside of that, you, you know, it's, it shows, heart of community and the heart of you know just being a human being and you know and yes it is then boiling down to a wonderful cheesesteak thank you and and also one other thing um i know we uh, talked about it before amorous is that i'm almost getting ready to graduate culinary school and this is my uh, second time at it. I got an associate's degree the first time, and I'm getting a diploma this time and adding to the, um, the grades, I should say. 
and just learning a different spectrum of cooking and actually looking to do charity events and doing uh, dinners and raising money for charities for different, you know, avenues and doing celebrity uh, friends coming in, like maybe Tony Luke or getting um, Dana White to come in or, you know, Michael Buble or somebody like that, Rachel Ray. And we do a cooking event and then raise money and then donate it to a charity uh, of choice. So we're looking at doing that uh, as soon as I graduate. And when do we get to celebrate your graduation? Well, right now it looks like it's going to be November 9th. And um, I graduate and walk in January because they do it in, in batches. But my last day is in November, and then next year we're doing that, and then we're also looking at franchising Geno's. So, Brett, you'll be in all, you'll be able to go to different cities and get paid. Uh, we're in the works of that. And also, I just got word last week, I have a meeting tomorrow. I can't talk too much about it, but there might be a reality show that you might see me and Andre on. Oh, so, nice. So, look out. Do we know, are we able to um, bounce what station that's going to be on, or is that a hush-hush still, too? Uh, it's a little bit of a hush-hush. We're just having some beginning meetings, but it's basically going to be like the cameras, uh, like kind of like the Kardashians, but with talent. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we're going to be going around, following with cooking and everyday life with me and Andre and our friends, and, and there's a couple other surprises that might be in store with it. And um, it's just a new adventure. I like to keep busy, and I like to have fun in life because, you know, life is short, and I lost both my parents. Uh, this month, uh, it'll be uh, 10 years with Dad and nine um, – with the eight years with mom. So, you know, it's just life is short. I live it to the fullest and I try to make every day better than the day before. Well, I think, you know, you might be onto something with a reality show. You know, in Philadelphia, we, we have what? Uh, Parking Wars made its big debut mm -hmm. here. I think we should have Cheesesteak Wars where, you know, you can go around and, you know, sample all the different ones and get the opinions for people because in Philadelphia, there are there is such a war among people who just want to, you know, praise this or badmouth this. And it's so ridiculous. As you said earlier, and it's so true, it's a cheesesteak, folks. Like, <laughs> it, you no, know. It's that, yeah, it's funny that you say that because me and Tony and Frankie were talking about going around and trying cheesesteaks and doing that. Um, but it didn't really pan out with scheduling and all that. But years ago, me and Frankie got pitched for uh, a show called High Stakes and Wiz on the Go, and we were going to have cameras 24-7 and have a reality show based on it. And we actually filmed like 200 hours or 150 hours worth, wow. and they made uh, some episodes out of it, but it just never went. For, for whatever reason, because they wanted it, they filmed it, we were doing it, and for whatever reason, they just didn't follow through with it. But everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't wait, because especially, you know, we're 24 hours. So the nighttime crowd is really fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Philadelphia is such an opinionated city on food-related things. And I remember on Election Day last year when they were talking about the election and they said, you know, 
It's going to come down to Pennsylvania and probably Philadelphia. And I'm like, oh, no, worst idea ever, letting us pull, you know, be the deciding factor on election. We get in fistfights over gas station hoagies. You know, this is a bad idea. And, you know, I, I that's why I, I laugh. I'm like, okay, you know, everybody has their favorite cheesesteak place. But yep. I go to a cheesesteak. I want an experience with it. I want something, you know. I, I want that cultural phenomenon, and there's no better place in the city of Philadelphia than your location. I mean, you get Pats, you get Geno's. In my family, you, you get Geno's, you get Geno's. You know, that's where that's at. Not, not a shot at Pat. It's just my preference. You know, but there, there's just something about you can't drive away from that intersection yep. in a bad mood. <laughs> And it's without impossible. taking a and without taking a photo, I mean, right, that's yeah. right. It's Instagrammable just, and, and yeah. letting people know where you're at. I mean, I don't care what time of day or night it is. I'm going. I'm. This is where I'm at. You know. In in Gene's yeah, dating pro I, profile. Yeah, it, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry. With all the nights and uh, not, yeah, lights and the neons and everything, it's like you know Vegas, you know, and steroids and stuff. But to get back to your point earlier, <laughs> I mean, we, we are like a family. I mean, my longest running workers 48 years she's been with us oh wow and my average is 20 to 30 um i i mean that's an amazing length of time to have somebody employed by you uh you know well your company i should say um because yeah. it started with your your father obviously um yeah, i wasn't first but... yeah <laughs> But you have expanded because, I mean, outside of the um, uh, franchising that, that you alluded to, you have expanded into other iconic locations as well. With... Yep, we're at First Casino, we're at Xfinity Live, we're at the Philadelphia Airport. I actually think that's probably one of the better locations because... They, you know, people can either travel, go to the Philly airport and be like, I'm hungry. I'm gonna, I, what can I get? Gino cheesesteak. Um, or if they're arriving from, you know, a different area, yes, it's not that particular Ninth and Passionk Avenue location, but mm-hmm. right off the plane, they can just hit a Gino's. Yeah, and the funny thing is, I have my own selfie wall, so now I know I made it. <laughs> I saw the selfie wall, and I was I was like, okay, th- we need to remedy this. I need to have a selfie with uh, with Gino on on his wall. <laughs> yeah, it was a little Photoshop and makeup, but it makes me look great. <laughs> <laughs> and I like I like the huge. Um, step well it's called a step up but i the huge gino's wall uh, wall backdrop so that if somebody wants to like pose with you in front of that that's like a fun ad well the thing is we did that is for when the celebrities come in and everything we have a private booth inside for uh you know the celebrities when they come to know you bother for autographs and pictures and uh when they do they what they do they take out their phones and they instagram and they tweet so the booth has our logo actually embroidered in it, and around the uh, grill and the soda windows on the above is all these like little runs of Geno steaks with the cheesesteak and everything, and then the backdrop has our logo with the cheesesteak. So no matter where they take a picture, it's branded, and whenever it goes on their social media, it's just that much more um, identification, you yeah. know, and it's just 
And I mean, maybe you want to be humble, but I'm not going to be humble. Um, I saw, you know, Harry Connick Jr. in there and I was like, oh, I love him. <laughs> Justin Timberlake. And, you know, um, well, I yep. did. I did see Joan. She was definitely on your wall, as she should be. Um, Rachel Ray. I mean, I saw so many big names that are like on your wall that you're loved by everyone. I've been very fortunate and very lucky to meet and, and actually become friends with a lot of them, you know, um, just because, you know, when we're sitting there filming or doing something, I, I just talk to them and treat them like I'm talking to you. Like, I don't go, oh, my God, it's Justin Timberlake. I'm like, hey, Justin, what's up? You know, yeah. come on, let's talk. Or, or how's your day going? A lot of them, it's like they don't get talked to, they get talked at. Mm. And. And that's the difference. Like, I talk with them. I don't talk at them. Yeah. And, I just, you know, give them the respect. And, you know, there's been some celebrities that have not been my favorite. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just, you know, kind of nip it in the bud, we'll say. I'll leave it at that. That, that, that is a smart way to, to, to work around that. Um, now, with the franchises, do you have any idea when we might see those open up? Uh, it should be hopefully, uh, by spring we're hoping because right now we're working on buildings. We had one that we were going to do, um, but it fell through due to the, the deals and stuff. We're negotiating with lawyers and stuff, but we're actually getting the manuals ready, the videos, the training guides, all that. So that's full steam ahead. It's just the building is for dealing with and it's hard to get a, a place with the answer system the grills and all you know all that stuff we're trying to buy an old restaurant or an old steak place kind of so it's already prefabbed out mm -hmm. but um you know it's just every week there's new listings so we're just keep looking um but hopefully by spring of next year we should be up and running i am excited to see that and it and take pictures of course you bring me on for it um now speaking of introducing people to you know new adventures with you where can they find you online well they can go to genostakes.com or you can follow me on genostakes instagram and facebook and then we also have the website which we have the delivery services so you can get us on grubhub uh, we can get DoorDash or Uber Eats or actually uh, Rice Van. So you have four options. So you, I'm everywhere. You have to <laughs> pop up somewhere. Exactly. Gino, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, I hope that everybody goes out and grabs a cheesesteak from you. Thank you, Gino. Thank you, Gino. <laughs> Philly Restaurant Honor. Philly Restaurant Reviews with NS.com for more info on the show. Amherst Pollock. If you would like to um, come on our show, you can email me at arpollockus at gmail.com or you can find me through social media at either Amorous Pollock or arpollockus. Chef Gene! You can reach me at on social media at ibfoodie2 or Gene Blum or you can email me directly at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. That's I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E, the number two at yahoo.com. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>